and it's so good to be with you here. I'm one of the pastors here at HDBB. Today, I want to speak to you about what it means to have courage in a time of crisis. About six months ago, we looked at the passage of Mark 4, where we heard the story of Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee to a place called Gerasenes. And along their way, they encountered a freak storm. I just think that in a season like ours right now, in a season of our church and in our country, it feels like we're all in a time of storm. It feels the, the, the emotions of, of having a, a storm around us, um, that place of chaos and a place of unpredictability. And in the middle of this storm, wherever we're at, whether you're watching this from the comfort of your bedroom um, alone or whether you are in a living room watching this among friends and family, Today, the reminder is Jesus is in the boat. Just the other day, my phone reminded me that I've been scrolling a lot through the news about COVID-19 and it's so easy, isn't it, to just be reminded about the negativity around us so that it feels like wave after wave of bad news comes crashing into our consciousness. And it made me realize that the real threat, the full threat of COVID-19 is not so much a physical harm to bodies as it is also a spiritual and mental harm to ourselves. But today, wherever you are, Jesus is reminding us that in the midst of the storm, He's there in the boat. And He says to us, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Take courage, I have overcome the world. And he said, I have told you this so that in me, you may have peace. Jesus said that life is difficult and there will be storms around us. And yet we can be assured that Jesus is in the boat with us. Our reading today is really like a manual for how to go through a storm and still grow in courage through the crisis. And so we're going to be reading from Mark 4, verse 25 to 31, and the words will come up on the screen, but you can also use the Bible function on HDBB online. Mark 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, before we go on, it's helpful to know that this story is really set in the context of Israel at a place called the Sea of Galilee, a huge freshwater lake. And we're told that just before Jesus and the disciples go on their journey to the other side, he had just spent the whole day um, teaching multitudes of people. He was exhausted by then. And so Jesus says towards the end of the day, let's go over to the other side. And on they go. But what's on the other side? Well, in Mark 5, in the chapter after, we're told that the other side is a place called Gerasenes, a place that is generally associated with foreign people. And there, as they reach this place of unfamiliarity, they encounter a strange challenge that they never expected before. And I like to think that this journey that Jesus and his disciples are on, from this place of familiarity to this place of foreignness, sort of mimics our journey of life. That along the way, often storms hit us. And you might be today feeling like you're in the middle of that storm. That right there between that place of familiarity and that place of foreignness is this transitionary space that feels 
a bit chaotic, that, that feels like a storm. But you can take heart today that Jesus is in the boat. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Oh, well done production team for that overlay. I think it's useful to know that in the story of the Bible, we're told that the Jews generally associated water with chaos. Throughout scripture, water carried ne negative connotations for the Jews. The Jews believed that water carried deep mysteries, but also represented chaos, all things unpredictable and untamable. We, we're told that in the earliest pages of the Bible in Genesis, the great flood caused many of God's creation to perish. Then in the book of Job, we're told about the deep sea creatures that um, contain mysteries um, and uh, represent chaos. And then in the story of Jonah, this prophet of God is given an assignment to go to the city of Nineveh where he's about to proclaim good news um, of the Lord and yet he disobeys and turns the other side and he is swallowed by a fish for three days and, and then the story goes on. Water generally carried bad omen for the Jews. And here in this story, in this freak storm that Jesus and his disciples are on, they find themselves in a really bad place that represented bad luck. Bad luck, almost like, you know, sweeping the floor on the first day of Chinese New Year. Or maybe to put it into more relevant terms, um, like realizing that you have run out of toilet paper and then realizing that, oh, the only thing that might save you now is this little water tap just next to your toilet bowl called a bidet. Thumbs up on the chat um, if you know what I'm talking about. Jesus was with the disciples in the storm. And yet, we read in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, slipping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And here, we see that the meltdown of the disciples is complete. It was Mike Tyson who once said, Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I wonder whether right now, it feels that way for you. That no matter what contingencies you plan out, no matter what scenarios you have, events seem to overtake again and again, that the scale of our challenges are just more than the sum of our solutions? Well, we read on in verse 39, that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid? These are words that confront us in this season of fear, of panic buying, of trying to figure out what to do next, and yet not really having any control about the future, even just the next hour. The words of Jesus are, why are you so afraid? So how can we have courage in a time of crisis? Well, in Jesus, we see a model of courage that we can learn and that we can um, emulate in this season. Firstly, Jesus was compelled by love. In verse 35, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. What was on the other side? Well, in Mark 5 verse 2, we're told that Jesus and his disciples, as they reached the bank of Gerasenes, they are met by this man whose name is Legion. And this man has come from the tombs filled with evil spirits, so many that he's named Legion. 
and the spirits immediately recognize who Jesus is. As they say to him, what do you want of me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then Jesus delivers this man from his spirits and he casts the spirits out. And we're told about this incredible account of how he's healed and then found in a place fully clothed and in his right mind. Jesus went to Gerasenes and encountered the storm because he was compelled by love. And today, this is our hope, that there's no storm that Jesus cannot weather with us. There's no chain that he can't break, and there's no confrontation he can't respond to. And today, I wonder if you've ever felt recently this deep sense of fear in a time of chaos. What, what was that fear? Um, two years ago, my wife Jacinta and I decided to go on a hiking trip and we wanted to go to this jungle just outside of KL. And um, on that day in, in the morning as we arrived um, just at the outside of the jungle, we got ready to begin our hiking trip and Jacinta had brought some food with, with her um, so that we could have breakfast before we started hiking. And I finished first. Um, and as I um, you know, finished you know, eating my, my, my bun, I, I then went over to the rubbish bin and I tossed the plastic back there in that rubbish bin. And just where I was, as I looked back to where Jacinta was, I saw about 30 steps away what seemed to be like almost cinematic because there was Jacinta, unbeknownst to her, you know, just halfway opening her bun up and not knowing that there were about 50 monkeys above her, just lurching in the trees. And where I was, it was almost as if it was like slow motion, but I saw the monkeys slowly start to descend from the trees and one by one dropping onto the ground and aging closer and closer to her. And at that point, I realized I had two options, really. The first option was to run into the thick of action and save my wife from those monkeys. And I thought that was a good plan, but actually I realized there was another option as well. See, I was far enough to just stand where I was and generously let my wife be the hero of the day. Because, you know, I've always wondered anyway what it would be like if my wife went hand-to-hand -hand, hand -hand combat with 50 monkeys, right? And so there she was, um, you know, with the monkeys. My mind telling me, don't run towards the monkeys. It's danger, danger, danger. But then what I found was, just despite my thoughts, I started to run towards Jacinta. And as I ran towards her, even despite my thoughts saying this was dangerous, I began to become like the biggest monkey over there. And, and then the monkeys started to scatter and disperse. <laughs> and I often, I often look back to that day and think, would I have done the same thing despite my thoughts about um, saving Jacinta or, or, or just being there? But you see, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus was compelled by love. And because he was compelled by love, he could cast out fear in the people around him, but also in the men at the bank of Gerasenes. And this is good news for us because the opposite of fear is not so much bravery, but love. And where love exists, we can face storms and we can have a different perspective of the storms around us. See, love does not reduce the storms. It does not even prevent the storms, but love changes our perspective. Love gives us purpose in the pain. And today, 
we can know wherever we are that Jesus loves you. Jesus' love for you is so abundant that even if you were to receive a fraction of that love, it would be so much that you couldn't hold it to yourself. If you were to receive Jesus' love, be meant to be giving it, giving it away. And yet, this love does not stop the disciples from going through the storm. It's been said that the Christian life isn't the weights getting lighter, but we getting stronger. Jesus was compelled by love, but he was also centered in peace. The second reason why Jesus was so calm in the chaos of the storm was because he was centered in peace. We're told that even despite the storm, as the waves came crashing into the boat, as the disciples tried to take the water out of their, of their boat, Jesus was found sleeping in the stern in the ship. Jesus was a centered leader. It's been said that centeredness is this quality of being grounded, the, the ability to respond to challenges rather than to react to problems. And a lot of studies have been made about what it means to be a centered leader. A Bain Consulting Group is one of them um, that, that did a massive study about what employees think about what inspirational leaders are. And what they found at the end of the study was that there are at least 33 traits that describe inspirational leadership. Traits like um, uh, vision or openness or humility. But right in the center of those 33 traits is this one word, centeredness. Jesus was compelled by love, but he was also centered in peace. See, love might bring us forward, but it is peace that keeps us going. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he didn't just know where he was going, but he knew who he was. It's been said that peace is not something external, but someone internal. Christ Jesus who is in us. And as we come to Christ, as we accept Christ into our lives, we receive two forms of peace. The first is a peace with God. And this is a peace that we get as Jesus mediates. He's been called the great mediator who brings us to the Father and gives us perfect access to Him. We read in John 14, Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And accepting Christ into our lives allows us to have peace with the Father. But when you come to Christ, you don't just have peace with God, you also have peace of God. And it's this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The peace of God is something that Jesus talks about when he says in John 14, 27, peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is a peace beyond understanding despite circumstances because true peace is not found in what is external but what is internal. It's not what happens externally but what happens internally. And when we receive the peace of God, we begin to be able to respond in a way that is centered rather than to react in a way that is fearful. Perhaps today you might be going through a storm that around you seems to be challenges too great to ignore or problems too dangerous 
to tolerate. Love compels us forward, but peace keeps us going. So Jesus was compelled by love, but he was also centered in peace. And finally, Jesus carried the hope of new life. Jesus remained calm in the chaos because he knew who he was and where he was going. But he also knew what he was about to do. See, as he reached the bank of Gerasenes, we finally understand why Jesus went through the storm. At the bank of Gerasenes, Jesus delivered the man, giving new life to what seemed like chaos. And all throughout Scripture, we almost see like that there's a pattern of what happens whenever God's presence comes into a place of chaos. In the earliest pages of the Bible, we see in Genesis 1, the beginning of the world began with chaos. The world was described as this place of void and formlessness. And we're told that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the earth, where there was chaos and God's presence, there was new life. And here, in this story of the man at Gerasenes, we're told of this man completely tormented by spirits, isolated by people, sent to a quarantine to be alone with himself and tormented by his demons, left hopeless and helpless. But then he's delivered by Jesus as God's presence invades that place of chaos. Then in the book of Jonah, we read about how the prophet of God is given a, an assignment to go to the city of Nineveh. And at the, at, just at the start of this assignment, he begins to disobey this call and he turns the other way. But God brings him through this journey where um, he is then tossed into the sea and he's swallowed by a big fish. And then as he decides to obey the Lord, he's regurgitated and he's brought to that city of Nineveh. And as he shares the great news of God in that city, God's presence invades that place of chaos and new life is born. Today, wherever we're at, in a place of chaos or fear or panic or uncertainty, Jesus can come into that space and time that we're in. And he can bring God's presence into that chaos, promising the hope of new life. And because he has done that for us, in this season, we can carry that hope to the world around us as well. Shall we pray? I'm just going to invite Miles to lead us in a time of prayer ministry now. Let's pray right now. And um, I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, if you can, why don't you stand? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. The Spirit of God lives in you already if you follow Jesus. St. Paul says to the Corinthians that you can't say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit in you. But we're going to ask for more of his presence. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. The verb there for filled is the present continuous tense. In other words, ask to be filled over and over and over again. Not because we're afraid that we're not saved. You are. Your destiny, your eternal destiny is secure. But this is because we need the Spirit to continue to minister to us, to grow the fruit of the Spirit in us, to strengthen us in these times. So we're going to ask the Spirit to fill us. And the way we're simply going to do this is um, you might want to put your hands out in front of you like this. 
You don't have to, but it, I find it can be helpful body language. It, it's the opposite of this, which kind of says, Lord, don't come anywhere near me. And we're simply going to pray this oldest and simplest prayer of the church. Just echo this in your heart right now. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me again. 